out with Star Trek Review Podcast. Um, this week we're going to be reviewing Strange New World Season 2, Episode 2, Ad Astra Per Aspera. I can hear my mother cringing at my attempt at Latin there, but, you know, I did my best. Um, so today I'm joined by regular Suki. Hello. Eternally late, Deb. <laughs> I hope me duck. Um, and special guest, Jennifer Lee Rossman. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. 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 So this is Jennifer's first time on the show. Um, if you don't follow her on Twitter, I really recommend that you go and find her. That's how we sort of came across it. Um, I think your rewatch kind of tweet-alongs are hilarious. Um, I think they're fabulous. Um, so what we normally do with a new guest is just ask you a little bit about how you got into Star Trek, what your Star Trek story is, what sort of drawn you to the show. I started watching Star Trek uh, Next Generation when I was a teenager because I haven't seen Jonathan Frakes on Beyond Belief, and I loved him. And I never really paid that much attention, retained much of the information about it, so I didn't really get into it very much. Then when Picard season three was going to come out, a staff member at my group home knew I'm a nerd, and he said, oh, yeah. I said, no. He said, you need to watch it. So I started watching Picard season one, and realized I don't know what's happening. So I went back and watched Next Generation again and somehow watching all the Star Treks and getting a lot of followers because of this. So how, how much Star Trek have you watched this year then? Because I've seen your TOS stuff. Um, next yeah. year you've rewatched Picard. Like what else have you rewatched? Um, Voyager and Prodigy are the last ones I need to see. <sighs> that's some going. That that's like that's hardcore dedication. It's taken me about five months to get like halfway through season two of TOS on my rewatch. So, no, I just wondering. So you're going through Prodigy, and we've just had this news that suddenly come through. What's your take on the cancellation and possible movement of Prodigy going to somewhere else? Uh, whatever, what's been going on? Like, what do you think? I was putting off watching Prodigy until after Voyager. But when it was cancelled and the announcement that they're going to take it off, I thought, well, I need to watch it. And I don't know why I put it off, because it's delightful. I don't understand why they're doing this. It's It has Murph in it. Why would you not love it? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we've got a family that comes on, the Davies family, uh, for our podcast. Uh, and if you go back into our uh, back catalogue, you'll see all their episodes. And I've got this family to record uh, episodes reviewing each episode of Prodigy and they loved it all the way through right? and I just don't understand what the thinking is behind the cancellation because it's a great young adult uh, show and it's just delightful it's funny, it's engaging it's exciting and I just don't understand why they suddenly decided they don't want any more of it what about you guys Andrea, Deb have you got any opinions on Prodigy? Andrea. I've never, I've never watched it. Never watched any of it. Okay, so you, shh, shh, I'll say nothing. I'll edit it out. <laughs> so I think, from my point of view, I think it's disappointing what's happened. But I think it's the manner that they do these things in. It's like, yeah, we're done with that, so we're just going to 
pull it off our streaming service and pretend it never happened and try and sell it on. And I don't know if removing it, they think it increases the value because you can't watch it anywhere else. And they're trying to move it on to, to another service quickly. But it, it just feels like there's not a lot of kind of care and respect for fans there. And I think all streaming services are guilty of it. We kind of we went through it with the away, which was like, you know, there were people going on hunger strikes over that, which seems a little bit excessive. But um, it, it, it does seem to be the streaming model. It's just like, yeah, we're done with that now. Pull the plug. The, the, what I found is that all the streamers have to still pay ongoing right to all these creators and people right so what they're doing instead of having to if they ain't getting the numbers they don't want to carry on paying these people uh, a small percentage of whatever they're making so it's they'll this is what's happening with warner brothers and i think it's uh, hbo max in america there's a few uh, streaming services and disney as well disney did it really badly with willow just gone now uh, where they've just taken off a load of shows and stuff and so they don't have to carry on paying anything more to these creators, right? And and the, they can't shop it around and just have a one-off fee, and then add their license back in a year or two and shop it around again to get do that. that that's how they might make uh, a bit more money. But yeah, this is terrible news for all these people that have been following the prodigy. And hopefully, the the next uh, I think twenty episodes or whatever, which are season two, have all been made or a near completion and they'll just be shown somewhere else uh, that is mean that is that is just cruel to the creatives who've been trusted to do it and yeah very sad and streaming i mean they've got with the oa netflix apparently they focus on the number of new subscribers that they get uh i don't know how they managed to work out that but the oa was a slow burn really people found it and um there were other th i mean there was nothing else like the oa uh, and we still hope that in some form it will be concluded it's just very sad for it fans is. as well because you you invest in these series and, but i i haven't seen a prodigy i will watch prodigy how much editing do you want me to do just to keep snipping that bit out for you you know you don't want to alienate the prodigy fans out there I, well, I may be a huge Prodigy fan, I don't know yet. Well, in that case, just pretend Princess, that you've watched it. Princess Bride, Prodigy, it's on my list. Oh my god, now you're alienating the Princess Bride fans. <laughs> I already did that last week, um, Andrea redshirted me. <laughs> well, it is disgraceful that you haven't seen it. And I'm just going to say, it's a bit of a spicy take, but I like Prodigy better than Lord X. I like Lower Decks didn't quite ping for me in the way it has for other people, but I would feel exactly the same. I would feel at the same level of grievance. Like it, it's not about sort of my favourite shows. I just think it's kind of it's a very mercenary way of doing things. And typically, you know, you're going if you're going to get cancelled, you don't make a season of something, and then it's it's got nowhere to go. So I think it's a really it's quite a cutthroat way of doing TV. I think. There's a show uh, called Minx, right, about uh, the female pornography business. Uh, so his favourite show. Oh, yeah, no, I can't get enough of it. Uh, I've not seen it, by the way. But what they did, they, they showed the first season, and then just as they're finishing the second, which is the same thing as they're doing with um, Prodigy, they cancel it. And now they're, they're trying to shop this uh, show around uh, to another broadcaster streamer. So it's... 
it's a thing that seems to be happening all over the place, all over the place. So, shall we just pray that the, the nobody's thinking about doing anything bad to Strange New Worlds? Um, I'll fight them personally on that one. Yeah. Um, and let's go back to the episode and let's get people's initial thoughts. Jennifer, what were your initial thoughts on the episode? Well, I love Star Trek Law and Order episodes. <laughs> and especially with people, um, they've always been like a metaphor for like transgender people or autistic people in um, in Julian Bashir's case. And I felt like this carried over when um, Una's brace at the beginning had the transgender pride flag on the strap. And I never noticed that. Yeah. So that put me in that mindset. And like the whole thing with like genetics is not, di- is not destiny and everything really felt like it's a, good episode of Star Trek, but also it's a good episode for marginalized people's rights. And I thought that was great. I, I can't, I mean, from a different perspective, uh, but I can't really better that. I, I absolutely loved it. I uh, I love um, fantasy and sci-fi when it's an allegory for real world. Uh, there's loads of questions. I mean, this is the other thing. I love finishing an episode with loads of questions. There's the Short response. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just exactly the same as the others have said. Uh, it, it was a really interesting, engaging episode, and it brought up a lot of issues, and I just thought he was brilliantly well portrayed by uh, Rebecca Romain. And the, the actress that played the lawyer, I think she was excellent in this as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was a solid, really good episode. Andrea? So I, I really liked the episode. Um, I'm a big fan of the Star Trek courtroom classic anyway. So, and and there's, a, there's a big tradition of that in Trek. And I think it stands up with with, with those other episodes. Um, I think Measure of a Man comes to mind. Um, but they love a good court scene, don't they? I mean, like Star Trek VI had a great court scene. Um, there's court martial in TOS. Um, the Menagerie is, is the one that... I'm thinking of, but I'm trying not to think of because it makes me sad because I'm looking at Anson Mount's beautiful face and going, oh, I don't really want to watch that episode and think about that. Um, so I, th- I think it did a really good job. And I think one of the things Strange New Worlds is generally doing a good job of is just taking those slightly different genre episodes and, and doing a, a sort of a really sort of classic version of that with a bit of a, a modern twist. So I, I really liked it. Um, so I think this is going to be a warm and positive after last week's kind of mixed feelings. Um, so let's get into some deep dive. Um, so are there, are there any themes we want to pick up straight away? Um, I, I just wanted to say, um, following on that, I thought Measure of the Man as well. But because because maybe where we are in the world at the moment and also uh, because of this is still Starfleet, uh, young Starfleet, um, it was the struggle on ideas and values which made it extra gripping, I think. Um, but also, if my lawyer turned up wearing a red dress with sparkles on it, I'm afraid I was sacked her before she even got into the uh, into the room. So maybe I need to take a leaf out of the uh, episode and not judge people. Uh, I quite I quite liked her appearance. Uh, it just stood out. She was trying to make a point, a statement. You know, you don't mess with me. Uh, this is the way I look. 
she wasn't being conformative to what everybody else was wearing and she wasn't and she, and the the fingernails there was one scene i saw where she had her hand up and then it like had at least an inch worth of fingernails and i'm thinking wow how the hell is she doing anything writing eating with them fingernails i mean i'm i have don't have uh fingernails like that right so ladies you'll have to tell me people i've got to be honest having had like quite substantial nail extensions what you want to be worrying about is visits to the toilet oh dear <laughs> oh dear <laughs> it's like see your mind's going to bad places i'm thinking just trying to like undo your jeans without pinging a fingernail off is like it, it is challenging um it takes a bit of commitment um, I think what I liked about it is I think Star Trek's at its best when it does it kind of holds a mirror up to our times. Um, but I think it did a really good job of doing that in a timeless way. Like those themes, I think you can apply them to all sorts of sort of discrimination and the idea of otherness. Um, and it felt quite strongly that it was about the trans community, but also there was some direct references to civil rights and apartheid. Um, I think you can you can see those links to that struggle for gay rights. I, I think it's a timeless theme. And I think it was scripted in a way that, I think you could apply it to, to anybody who's marginalised, and I like that about it. That it, and you know, there's that IDIC flag in the background, um, and I feel like that anyone who, who's ever felt kind of othered um, could draw something from that. So I think it was clever enough to to see a lot about a lot of things without having to directly name check them, and, and I quite like that. So I think there's a takeaway for lots of people there. I think. Um... The unique thing about this episode is that there was an element of fear because if you um, look back at Khan, because we've got to do that, uh, uh, and I think we will need to talk about Lan, but um, if we remember Khan, you know, there is a danger uh, related to um, genetic modification, uh, which is which is genuine. And, and I think, um, you know, I work with asylum seekers uh, and I do uh, a great organisation called Hope Not Hate, which looks at understanding why racism and racist hate happens, is quite often it is through a legitimate fear. And um, and I think there was a line, I only watched it, it once because I'm not my parents, the, the whole idea that how fear generates our actions sometimes, um, I will find it, but... Um, so th there were so many um, layers to it. It wasn't as easy, like measure a man. It's data. You know, of course, you, you know, data's, you know, you, they've got to be let off. In this case, you kind of thought, well, yeah, I mean, um, we know that Una is a great first officer because we've seen her. But on the other hand, um, it's, you know, gone. And also, I mean, there's so many questions like um, uh, about genetic modification because eugenics is something um which we know in reality uh, uh, you know is sort of linked with uh, uh you know the master race and um racism but what um, eugenics means now within star trek i don't know i mean i haven't i haven't i haven't seen what deep space nine either this you've got to sack me um but i know about bashir and um so, you know, is it just genetic modification or is there an element of of taking um, uh, uh, AI or anything like that? I don't know, quite know what, what we mean in this. 
But in the same way that if if um, if people have not come across people who, um, uh, 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 you know, from a different religion, I shouldn't, I, I can't really say. I'll tell you afterwards, but we've just had a conversation in my house um, a bit along these lines about somebody that my niece is dating who, and so because the person's different, um, there is absolutely no grounds uh, for fear. But if people haven't got, experience or so somebody um has had uh you know we, we hope not hey you have um a, a with the southern eastern european immigration where you a, a town a small town is suddenly transformed with people from eastern europe and all of a sudden they hear the different language um that fear generates hate but but in a way that needs to be questioned and and looked at because just calling everybody racist um for being fear anyway so it generates all those questions in me and and it's you know how do we break down that fear which leads to hate unless we talk unless we challenge these barriers or if we bring together it comes back to the joe cox more in common which is you know the hope not hate find find a common ground in um, like boston in lincolnshire uh, they found that the commonality was Christianity, or at least a Christian tradition. So they had a big Easter egg hunt, and all the different communities went on Easter egg hunts. In another area, they found that the there was a lack of areas for children to play with. So I know this isn't um, uh, a good laugh, but it it, it rains. It, it brings up so many questions, so many ideas, which is why I thought it was such a brilliant episode. Going back to Bashir with um, the eugenics thing is he was um, modified because he was falling behind in school and he was weak. So that right there is like, it is kind of like the master race eugenics of like, let's get rid of the bad things because like it's ableist almost because it's um, getting rid of the um, learning disability of him. So it might be for making people you know, the super strong, like, con and everything. But it still is the real-world version of eugenics, even in Star Trek sometimes. I sort of thought about Bashir quite a lot, and it felt quite sort of... It, it preserved canon, but it also feels quite sad that things haven't... don't seem to have moved on a lot in quite a significant period of time. And I suppose there's a point in there that change is slow... Um, but those themes are kind of revisited sort of in universe. It must be like, it must be more than a hundred years later. It, it's still a, it's still a flashpoint. It's still a talking point. And I suppose if you look at human history, then there are still things that are flashpoints and talking points over those kind of timescales. But, um, but I suppose it, it's that idea that it was a start, wasn't it? And it took quite a long time for anything to change. And, and even then things hadn't changed. Um, in terms of canon, though, and we're going to talk about Lan, um, Khan was brought up, but I'm pretty sure in Space Seed, Spock doesn't know who he is. But surely Spock should know who he is? Like, yes. I don't know. I feel like there's something that, like, there's a gap there, and I don't know if they're going to explain that, and I don't get too hung up on canon, but I thought, oh, hang on a minute. Well, the thing is, uh, Lan's missing from when Enterprise comes uh, 
you know the original series so maybe there's a, a one of them situations where they just erased line from history therefore erased her backstory it's just like they did with um uh, michael in uh just from discovery and all all the uh, the discovery crew yeah, I have to admit, if my name was Nudie and Soon and I wanted to join Starfleet, I would go on that little computer, press a few buttons about Tenor, change your surname. <laughs> <laughs> it's no biggie, it's no biggie. Um, the other thing which uh, occurred to me is um, I was interested to see how many people that were involved in the court and Pike had shagged because I got a feeling it was, apart from the grumpy bloke, <laughs> and that's probably he was grumpy. Pike and Shag, uh, Battelle, who's the others? Well, um, the uh, the woman who uh, had a nearer, the yeah. way that they looked at each other, there was definitely some history, unless unless it was because near, they were old friends, weren't they? There was something going on there. Although nearer may have shagged or so. Um, yeah, I, I, saw, I saw the little uh, handshake, uh, long handshake, and letting go of the hand. Uh, between Una and uh, Nera, but that could be just be because it's a friendship rekindled after 25 years of them being apart. You know, there's been a lot of history, and we've we've done this. These things have happened in the past. I mean, from what I believe, 25 years previously is when Una and her family went from uh, living with everybody to a segregated uh, society. But they went and lived in the society where they weren't supposed to be welcome, which is the non-Illyrian side. So, and they left Nera and her family behind. So that's where the, uh, the friendship fractured. But he, she also mentions a young boy um, who has the same surname as Nera, I think. Kurt, a cousin. Kurtul. Was it a cousin? Or... had the same yeah. surname. Yeah. yeah. And uh, something happened to him and, and Nera never forgave Una or something like that. So there's there's there is a back there is a history between the two characters, but I don't think it's a romantic relationship. I think it's a friendship. Uh, with you thinking Pike has shagged everybody apart from the yeah. the Vulcan commander. Well, he led the way for Kirk, didn't he? <laughs> I think Pike's Pike's a one woman bloke at the moment. I think it's him and Patel. I don't think he's going around um, uh, sowing his seeds left, right, and centre. History, history. Alora at the um the Alora who with the child. Yeah, um oh, what was that episode called? It was quite grim. Um well, last season. Yeah. It's gonna bug us all now. It's got a really long, like quite powerful yeah. name, has it? Oh god, why can't I think? Tookie's going to look this up now. Yeah, you, you guys carry on talking while um, I... Uh, I've just got to check, actually. Does Shag count as a swear word? Because my mum's told me I'm not allowed to swear. Is your mum sitting there listening to you right now? She's downstairs. Well, she, can she hear you? No. Well, you but can do whatever you like in your own bedroom. You know. She, she said, the problem with swearing, you know, I always say this, and everybody agrees with me, if you swear, it shows that you haven't got a good enough knowledge of the English language. I said... Mum, I know what all the swear words mean. If you want to sit down, I'll go through them and explain them all to you. It's, it's all fine, but no, she wasn't up to it. Sucky. The episode I think we're talking about is Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. That's the one. I knew it was a really long, grim name. And the actress who played 
the the love interest. Uh, I'll just watch it in Gotham Nights, and uh, I'll just remember it from the librarians from many years ago. So what did we think of Neera in general? Because I think she was a really good character. And I think in the last episode we talked about this, they were kind of teasing Piper was going off to see someone mysterious. And, and it kind of made you think it was going to be someone we knew in universe. Um, I don't think they really needed to do that because I think she was a really strong character. Um, I think there were layers there. I quite like the fact that she was quite lawyerish um in the sense of i'm not really a friend but i can see like i can see something in this for me so it's okay um so i i really liked it i think she came across really well i i, I quite liked her i uh, when she came on the screen she looked like she was going to be somebody who was a bit uh off standoffish and just gonna just do her job and then she's the way she s s built her case because you see right at the beginning when she first walks into the uh, owner's room and she's she's got she's already got her mental thinking and how she's going to uh, do the case and uh, she's asked for these big book of uh, rules so she already knew how she was going to play the case and she tells una you've got to do it my way and una's there no you know you've got to do it like this you've got to do it like that but she goes you've got to do it my way so she was quite assertive and she, and I quite like that in her character. She has to be like that to be able to get some of the stuff that she's probably having to go through because she's a civil rights lawyer and she's she's had all this stuff where uh, she's had cases thrown out left, right and centre and she just can't get uh, things done. And she realises she, if she follows the system, it might not work, but doing it uh, the way she's going to do it this time around, right, it might just be able to get her off. I mean, again, um, because I think about this a lot, getting philosophical, um, I thought she was brilliant. Um, but the anger that she was underlying her, uh, it's again, how do we move forward? How do we, it's like, can, you know, cancer culture. It brings up so much is that um, she was assuming that Starfleet were going to be intolerant. She was assuming um, because of all the history that was underlying how she was arguing things, that she actually came out in with more anger, I hate, than, than well, actually, I guess the, the main Starfleet uh, guy was pretty um, angry. Um, but in the end, I think, uh, uh, it's just occurred to me now, uh, it wasn't just about the result for Una, which is a one-off. It was the fact that I think um, everybody in that room came with a, a slightly better understanding of each other which I know it's going to be another Jason Isaacs thing but watch Mass if you've never watched Mass it's absolutely beautiful um, about how you deal with difference and conflict Jen what did you think of uh, Nera Yatida Badaki I do apologise for uh, the pronunciation of that name oh, I thought she was fantastic um, I loved her as a character, but at the very beginning, I was, like, doubting, is she actually a good lawyer? Like, what are you getting at? Like, not that she's not a good lawyer, but, like, she was fighting her own case more than Una's at first, it seemed like. I realized, like, oh, she has had a plan this whole time, and this whole courtroom has been, like, she's been controlling it. <clears throat> she knew to get a book, not a pad, because she wanted to, like, slam it down on the table at the end. Like, she had this whole thing planned. And I think that's awesome. 
Well, yeah, I hadn't thought about it. The actual physical book being banged on the table. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's it's quite nice to for the them to actually admit that the prime directive gets broken all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Captain April. Have any Starfleet captains ever not broken the prime directive? Like, I don't think you'd last like a week in the job, would you? Um, nicked the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the like that's the like trope of the week, isn't it? Did you break the Prime Directive? Of course you did. Um, but I think like books, like in court martial, um, the, the lawyer turns up with actual physical books. It's almost like it was a little nod to that. I thought as well that like lawyers seem to be the only people at that point who still like want things on paper. Um, and I quite like the I, I like that it was a proper legal argument. And yes, it, it got into sort of technicalities and stuff. But it wasn't just, I'm going to give a really, really big heartfelt speech and you're going to just go, oh, okay then, um, and hand wave it away. You know, that kind of like Mrs. Doyle approach to like law, like go on, go on, go on. And <laughs> it was like, a, there was a genuine kind of, there was a really coherent argument there that, that kind of followed through and it. And it was quite clever, I thought, um, where I think it could have just kind of, I'm going to give this really big, meaningful speech and you'll go, oh yeah, we're wrong. Um, and, and they didn't go down that road. So I, I quite liked that. I enjoyed that. There's uh, one of our correspondents uh, sent something in, really well written, a uh, couple of uh, few tweets, and we'll go on to what he thought when we come to it. But he does make a point: is um, why uh, they suddenly let Una off uh, when you know she has actually broken the rules, or uh, uh, being 25 years earlier, and then she uh, they then interpret it 25 years later as asylum and so why why is she still broke uh, why hasn't she still been sentenced uh, why has she suddenly gone back to her old job it is a bit iffy and i could quote asylum law but it's star trek <laughs> <laughs> it's the principles isn't it particularly oh i could get passionate about this and by the way team basement is still raising money for uh, red cross miles for refugee if you uh, look at my twitter there are links to donate to somebody that is trying to do the opposite to um, to what Starfleet um, traditions or their rape, draconian race laws in this instance, and um, uh, a lot of our governments about you know there, there are so many parallels. It, I I just loved I loved the episode. I loved the fact that you didn't know where it was going until that the, the prime directive and. And I'm glad that asylum still exists in the 24th century, despite what Pretty Patel's trying. Sorry, Suki, I keep restarting. No, that's all right. I, you've got the, that Vulcan commander that's like Patel's um, boss. I just don't understand. I mean, yeah, yeah, there was a great scene between him and Spock earlier on, by the way, which, uh, which you know, their pair are just staring at each other, but apparently they're arguing, according mm -hmm. to Mbenga and... Uh, and then he apologised, but that was a great scene. But I don't understand what uh, Admiral Patalisk, I think he was called, what his problem was, and why he suddenly pivoted halfway through, well, not halfway through, uh, towards the end of the court court case, and tried to uh, go after Pike. Is there some history there between him and Pike, or are we going to find this out later? Has anybody got any theories on that? Well, I, I'm guessing there was some kind of history between him and Spock because Spock kind of talked about, like, I really don't like this guy. Um, so I don't know if there is a little bit of backstory there. Um, but I think we also, in terms of that backstory, we got a little bit of 
uh, more sort of fleshing out of Robert April. Um, he was kind of he's been around since episode one, really. He's, he's been on the fringes, um, but obviously he's been captain of the Enterprise. Um, he sponsored Una's application and promoted her faster than anyone else. Um, violated the Prime Directive. Um, we know that that's a given. Um, but Pike and Una must have both served under him as a captain. Was he? He wasn't a particularly kind of unbiased witness really and it's like you know people you've kind of championed through the careers um so was he just trying to be devil's advocate and be fair or, or was there a little bit of history and i think he was in this you know they were talking about the gone war last week mm. i think he was in that scene wasn't he so the vulcan guy was there as well so i, I think potentially we might see a little bit more of him at some point well, a lot of the time though it's fear isn't it but uh, the, the interesting thing of him, him having a go at Pike, yeah, it might be because they should. No, he didn't shag him, he shagged everybody else. Uh, and was, back to that again, he was excluded from your has shagged Pike list, yes. So that was what it that was about. That's why he didn't like Spike. But, um, a lot of these you know, hatred comes from fear, fear of difference, or fear of of, of history. And after, come on. There is completely logical reason to be scared of eugenics. Wasn't the Vulcan lawyer a friend of Spock's father, or did I make that up? I no, feel like that. You're right. So there's got to be some sort of um, history between them because of that, him and Spock. Maybe he's one of these uh, teachers that he had when he was on Vulcan. Uh, yeah. And he just, you know, being a friend of his father's, is just in get uh didn't didn't get on at all um just going back to april he, he i do like the fact that he does stick with his principles though he, and he does you know like he he, he did say he does say that he sponsored una and you know gave her the path that she was uh, put her on the path that she was on he, he wouldn't have given her uh the sponsorship or the mentorship right if he'd have realized she was an alien and he does does actually stick with that, um, but he does come back as well, saying um, that uh, that she was one of his best officers, and she would have been, you know, she would have been put up for her like a medal of gallantry uh, because of all the action that uh, all the good that she'd done aboard his ship. And so he's he's a man. I, at one point, he seems to be like. I'll follow the rules, but at the same point, at the same time, he's also one that realizes the rules are there to be broken and can be changed. Right? So it's a bit complicated in understanding this person. Have we got any other themes or, or sort of things from the episode that we want to kind of explore a bit more? Suki, you chomping at the bit with something there? Yeah, I, I love the the interrogation of Una that we had from uh, Nera, and then she she's there. Uh, trying to uh, find out why she joined uh, uh, Starfleet, and she gives all these reasons, you know, looking at the stars, and then it comes up with the she uh, see a Starfleet crew appearing, and a Starfleet crew compromising of different uh, people, creatures, aliens from all sorts of cultures and planets it's all working together and she just loved uh seeing something like that and she wanted to be a part of it um the other bit of that 
uh, Una's speech, uh, Una interrogation a lot, was her telling us about the fear and the the dread of living as an Illyrian in a non-Illyrian society where people are just looking at her, uh, people could turn to turn on her just because uh, they think she's an, uh, an alien, uh, an Illyrian, and just uh, start to uh, intimidate and be cruel to her uh, just because of who she is or where she comes from. Uh, so I, the way she portrayed that and told us, the audience, the courtroom, uh, I thought it was just beautifully well acted by Rebecca Romain. The, the, the nearest thing I've got to that in terms of Doctor Who is in the, the Donna Noble episode, which is uh, Turn Left, um, and uh, there's all that where uh, the the family next door is suddenly targeted because they're Italian, I think they were, and you know they've got to be taken to the concentration camps because they're not part of uh, Britain or whatever it was uh, that they were going on at the time. And uh, that's the nearest comparison I've got to Doctor Who, and most of us Doctor Who would have remembered those scenes of Donna thinking, why are these people being taken away? And it's the same here. Why these people have been taken away? Because they are Illyrian in a society that does not like Illyrians. And, and I mean, another, there's just so many good quotes which I wrote down, is, uh, you know, even with the eugenic wars and the history of uh, genetically modified, everybody is born with a cap capacity uh, for actions of good or bad, you know, that we can't stick labels on people. Genetics is not a destiny. This episode is just bring. It's not a humorous episode because we, we we could go around. Uh, the only humor that I saw in this episode was the the the, uh, the Spock scene where he, he walks up to Wenger and all tigers standing and on the top. And Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, and Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, that is two pieces of humor only in this. The rest was just played dead serious, and you just had to go with the drama of the situation. And uh, you sometimes do need these sort of episodes. You know, Strange New Worlds, we've, we've, we've commented in the past how light it is, how funny it is, how it, it's got its action pieces and, and all this. And it, it, it manages to mix the whole, whole of uh, human emotions up into one fun little episode. And now with this, this episode, this is serious drama. Uh, at, at its best. And I'm quite, it's it just fantastic. It just ripped along depth. Well, you, you can tell it's written by fans because the whole idea of, well, the prime directive gets broken all the time. Everybody nicks the Enterprise. But also the bit at the end um, where they all come on the ship and they're all stood around um, welcoming Una back. And she goes, who's flying the ship? And Ortega says, well, it practically flies itself, which is, which is a comment that fans have made for years. Well, what, the, what does he need a pilot for? <laughs> so that guy made me laugh as well. So I quite liked how the entire, like, me and crew were pretty much sitting around. What, it was like watching an episode of Judge Judy, wasn't it? They're, they're all, like, glued to the courtroom action. It's like the trial of OJ all over again, um, for those of us who are old enough to remember that, obviously. Um, but I did think it was kind of, at, at some point, if I had been said Judge Judy, I'd have been kind of saying, is there nobody else who can prosecute this other than Pike's girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like there's no one else in Starfleet. No, I'm sorry. I know you're your boyfriend, but yeah, you're going to have to do this. It seemed a bit harsh. It's okay. See, that, that was going to be my next point was Captain Battelle, right? Uh, Melanie Scoffery. Scoffery, Scoffery. Oh, I can't remember. But she was great as Winona Rope many, many uh, a few years ago. But uh, she, 
having her, and they must know the history uh, or the relationship between Pike and Pike and uh, Patel, because you know there must be some sort of HR going on there. Whom you see, I'm seeing Captain Pike, right? And so they must know that there's a relationship. Why get her to prosecute Cap- uh, Captain Pike's number one? It would have been somebody else. It, I think just because it's the TV show and they quite like the, uh, the actress involved and they just want to bring her back, uh, they've used her. But I also like the fact that Patel, in this story, is there trying to help as much as she possibly can because she knows this is like a trumped-up court case. It's just a thing that's uh, going to just... Uh, alienate a lot of people and uh, it's the thing that she doesn't believe in herself and she but she knows she must know una uh quite well being part of the uh, the inner workings of uh, pike and uh uh pike's relationships so she must know her and she realizes she doesn't really want to prosecute this and you can see from the way she's sometimes uh sitting there and it's uh admiral patel's patelesque who taps her on the shoulder and goes You've got to get involved here. You know, objection. Right? So she has to get involved. And then towards the end, Admiral Patelis realises she ain't going to be able to uh, prosecute this case. And he stands up and starts doing it himself. Right? But, uh, and you can tell it's quite telling as well, is that when Una does come back onto the Enterprise, she's standing right next to Pike, welcoming her aboard. So I think she's got a quite an interesting relationship with the rest of the crew, but she knows she was in the... She's probably in the wrong during this court case, but she had to do her job. And she says it a number of times during the episode. I've got on doing my job. I've been told I've got to do this. This is my job. And uh, the other thing was, is she actually a captain captain of a starship or is she a prosecutor of some sort? Because I thought she was a captain in the first episode of Strange New Worlds. After they've had their little dalliance in the cabin, she goes off, I've got to go to my ship. So I thought she was a captain. Was Was she suddenly a prosecutor? Any ideas? Unless she changed, like, she might still be a captain, but, like, um, is mostly doing lawyer stuff now. Like, I mean, we don't really know much about her other than she was dating Pike. I really hated her at the end of the last season because I thought she was, like, sleeping with Pike just to get to Una, like, try to investigate her. But now it's very clear that this was not her intention at all and I feel bad that my notes about her say pancake bitch because I could <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like ah oh, he made her pancakes and she's a bitch what are you saying about her uh, towards the end of the season as she as you says she comes on board the ship and arrests her now do you think all that first season was filmed before the uh, the show went out Right, so she's appeared, I think, at least one or two episodes during that first season. People must have liked her uh, for her to be the person to, um, to come back and do the arrest. Now, do you think during the season, off-season, between the two seasons, they decided they're not really going to make her a bad guy as such? I mean, they could have, as you said, made her the pancake bitch and just got yeah. with that uh, whole persona and gone, we'll use her as a bad guy for the rest of the season. As in, like, she's the one that tried to take Una down. But then decided, because they're quite like the, the character, the actress, and they don't want to make her like that, we'll make her a good guy and have her mm-hmm. have some sort of conflict during uh, uh, deliberations in the court. And uh, she sorted it out in uh, trying to help Una instead. Yeah. 
That's a very seductive pose there you've got there, Deb. Yeah, now, all lying on the bed. Yeah, no, it's very, it's doing things to me, darling. Hey, me and Suki met last weekend. Yes. Did you know that? Oh, you did know that, obviously. I'm disappointed to say that Suki's actually a really nice bloke. <laughs> You're disappointed. Disappointed. Yeah, even if he does cheat at uh, polls. I, I, you know, it was not fair. The poll, she was, I was looking at it, I was thinking, there's nobody voting for me or Deb. I think I'm going to cheat there. So I went to the other Twitter accounts that I've got, right, for the other podcasts that I've got, and I started bang, banging votes in for myself. Yeah, I'm gonna do, I wasn't going to vote for you, Deb. And who did you vote for, Andrea? I voted for Suki. Yeah, does that make you feel really bad? <laughs> it did. <laughs> I did it properly like a grown-up. But don't worry, because he's already got a red shirt on, so I think he knows what's coming uh, later. That's the whole reason I told everybody that I cheated. <laughs> so, have we got any more thoughts on the episode? I'm sure, I think it's one of these episodes that I, well, I, I, because I'm away at the moment, I managed to watch it once. I really want to watch it again, and I'll probably watch it again, and there will be loads of things. <laughs> but um, I'm interested, Jennifer, what, because, you know, you've got an interesting perspective. Apart from Lorca not being in it, of course. Right, that would improve it immensely. <laughs> I, going back to the um, Spock not knowing about Khan, did Khan ever say his last name in the space scene? Yeah, I think so. It's a while since I've watched it. Because yeah. they didn't find out, but Spock doesn't instantly kind of click who he is. Hmm. I think I need to rewatch that. Did he, by any chance, only say Khan Noonien? And didn't say the Noonien sing bit? And the Noonien sing bit appears in the movies? They work out who he is in the episode. They kind you know, of know who he is. You know, so I've actually got Paramount Plus as a freebie for this month, right? And uh, instead of me digging out my DVDs, I can actually now just go to the episode and I'll be able to watch it. So I might do that. The other thing was, remember last week, Kat came on and said there was no subtitles. She was <laughs> right. There was no subtitles in Strange New Worlds. It really annoyed me because I'm an old bloke and I can just about hear things. And I need the subtitles. And there was no subtitles on the episodes. That was a really annoying. But, yeah. So I've got a few little eggs to mention. Um, so, nice shot of San Francisco and Starfleet Academy. I think pretty much that every every iteration of Star Trek has shown that at some point. So, that's always nice to see it get a little cameo. They talked about Pike being responsible for the actions of his crew, which I think was kind of established in Star Trek VI when they said that it didn't matter if Kirk had personally killed Gorkon. It was like, you're responsible, happened on your ship. I like the little TOS court details, like the ringing of the little bell. Um, I don't know what the little bell is about, but they do a little ding. Um, and I loved seeing dress uniforms. I like those little little funky badges that look like they've just bought them on Etsy. Like I always like the look of those. The little glowing button that you have to put your finger on, I wonder if that's just to record what you're saying or if it's a lie detector test. Because they showed it, but then they never explained it. And I think never they've used that before. Um, I think the Gil Gilbert and Sullivan reference was a sort of throwback to the short trek with Spock and Una. I think there was a little conversation about that. And I think that's everything. I think I've... Um, I think the only other thing I've written down that I haven't mentioned is I'm quite happy because it will piss off sections of the fandom and that would make me really happy. 
<laughs> so you're in a section of the fandom that it really annoyed just for existing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Anything else on the episode? I've got no notes because I've only been able to watch it once. And I've, what I've, I've tried to watch it a number of times this week, and each time, I've just things have just got in the way. So I've only been able to watch it once, and I've not been able to make any notes. I've just been making notes as I've been going along, so I've got nothing at all for once. Carry on. So I think it is time. I'm just, I'm just, oh no, I'm just excited for um, to find out more about Lan um, now. We've got it confirmed about the Noonien Singh um, Khan relationship and what that actually means, because that's not going to be just a throwaway, is it? That's going to mean something. And uh, if we don't find out this season, we'll interrogate her in August when she comes to Destination Trek. <laughs> we'll get a pissed in the barn, she'll tell us. <laughs> Can I just say, I'm really happy this week because Christina Chong said something really nice about my drawing of it. So that made well my... deserved. Well deserved. <laughs> that, it made me little. The, the other thing that I really took away from this episode is the challenge to Starfleet and to ourselves to be our better selves. And I think we should all take away from that episode um, that we that we should carry that with us in every day. So <clears throat> be our better selves. Don't cheat in polls on Twitter. What? <laughs> and, um, yeah, be magnanimous and, uh, you know, because we're no. appreciating difference. We should, in fact, vote for uh, somebody else like I did. Mm. I didn't vote for myself. Uh, well, you know, I'm an egotist, egomaniac. <laughs> I'd like to vote for myself. How many lights you see? There are four lights! I asked how many lights you see. Right, so that brings us to our lights out of five. Um, so how do we rate the episode? I've been thinking a lot about lights out of five, because are there actually five lights or are there four lights? So if we say four lights, do we mean five lights? And I, I was getting myself in a bit of a not thinking about this, but I think we'll just stick with like five out of fives as good as it gets. <laughs> there's, uh, there's a couple of people you'll find in the, uh, the feedback that have gone above five lights out of five. So uh, they'll be putting just five lights. Uh, so we'll see how it goes from there. So, um, Deb, what are your lights out of five? Five. Five. Jen? Um, 4.5 because I was Bacal there. But also there was a fifth light behind Picard in that scene. <laughs> Suki? I'm going to go with 4.5 as well. It's a great episode. Uh, but uh, I think it wasn't brilliant, brilliant episode. I think. What about you, Andrew? Well, I was at four point five, and I've talked about it, and I haven't really criticised it at all. Um, I'm going to give it a five. Do a five lights. Sucky. I just forgot the one thing I forgot to mention in the main bits that we were going on about is the hug at the end. Right, we had uh, between Pike and Una. Oh, that was just beautiful because he, the pair of them come together, uh, and it's like a a deep hug, and he, he looks really, really happy. Not happy on his face, but shocked that she's still there, uh, and he's uh, relieved that she's still there. And then he steps back and just pats, uh, taps her on the shoulder, and walks away. <laughs> I thought that was a great thing. I mean, if you guys enjoyed that as well. 
Yeah. Was it? Was he trying to make that a little bit lingering at one point? No, I don't think he was. It's like the, the lingering handshake, uh, hand holding that uh, Una and um, Nera did uh, is because of the friendship. And I think this is the same here. It's a friendship that he's just relieved that he's got his friend back. I think. I don't know. I think the teasing a little bit of a like. Yeah, and I don't know if I want that. I think I quite like the idea that they're just like, like work besties. But I don't know. Oh, you're you're going to start shipping uh, an Una and Pike thing. What about Patel? All the things that she's done for her, him, and you're going to just uh, toss her aside. Well, it makes for better drama. Anyway, enough of what we think. It's time to get our listeners' feedback. Sucky, do you want to start? Yes, we've got Schrodinger's Librarian. And after about two or three years of wondering who Schrodinger's Librarian is, we've now found out it's Rachel. And she's going to be on the episode next week. Yes. So it'll be yet another new voice for the year uh, the podcast. And they said, beyond thrilled to see Yeteda Badaki absolutely killing it in their appearance this episode. I am not always a fan of the courtroom trek episodes, but this one worked for me. Could be my age, but this episode was heartbreaking in the best way. I'm a sucker for any episode that acknowledges the complexities of the Federation's vision without dismissing the very real negative consequences it can have on individuals. That's a great sentence, that is, you know. Um, I give this episode five out of five fancy ceramic courtroom insignia. Cheers for that, Rachel. I'm so glad someone else noticed those. Admire those. Do you know what? I'm going to take one for the team, and our, our premier essayist on the sh- essayist. I can't get my words out. Um, Jack McMorrow. Um, so bold of Star Trek to have an episode named after a Vauxhall, <laughs> a Star Trek courtroom drama. But is it a classic like Measure of a Man or The Drumhead or a Misfire like Author Author? This is by far and away the rawest I've felt after a Star Trek episode lately that isn't also sewn up 36 years of the next generation. There are quite a fair few that do that, especially in the pale moonlight and far beyond the stars. This episode was a marked step from last week's OK one. The head-on tackled the issues of prejudice, systematic and individual. Quite in broad terms, but that is probably as detailed a look a show can get in 50 minutes. The episode left me shattered emotionally due to how well they take on these themes and that's pure Star Trek magic. Then, in her darkest hour, in a career Una admits she coveted for many years and built over a quarter of a century, Una says she was inspired to join by how diverse and well-working she saw Starfleet. The previous pure Star Trek just doubled it in value. We get a single humour scene with Spock apologising for how over-emotionally he was to Dr. Mbenga and Erika Ortegas. Probably good to give us some light relief due to the sheer importance issue discussed of you shouldn't have to hide who you are is vital, but a very heavy subject. To have no comedy at all or too much would likely turn audiences away from a vital subject. If Star Trek did very special episodes where they aren't as concerned with continuity and more with the message, this and Far Beyond the Stars are two which qualify easily. Writing and acting are on point, as ever, we are only 12 episodes in and the baton average of, Star- of Strange New Worlds so far is staggering. 
8,550 notes 5. Easy. This is a powerful trick, and I'm tempted to say it will prove to be a must-see. I love this episode, but it was so heavy that I hope the next is much lighter. One of the only times I'd want to see Q throwing pies at people. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Uh, just to let Jack know, I am not putting his score on there. It will be 5 out of 5. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. He just wants to win the highest score of the season. That's all. It, it it's not going to happen if he goes around cheating like that. You know, cheaters never win. I've just found that out on this podcast. This podcast started to seem corrupt. Darren Pickles says, "Episode two, five lights out of five. Nuff said. Cheers for that, Darren. Um, Deb, do you want to do the next one? Okay, Greg Packner. I didn't care for it to be honest." It felt like it was trying to rest a contemporary allegory on a sci-fi premise. Couldn't bear the weight. The problem is that banning eugenics is good. So is keeping genetically enhanced super soldiers out of the military. There should be laws against it. And while it would be wrong to criminalise being an augment, that's not what Una was on trial for. She was on trial for lying about her status. But her entire defence was predicted on her by being tried for the former, not the latter. There is a reasonable debate to be had over whether it is okay to lie to conceal something that's illegal but shouldn't be. But the episode sidestepped it entirely. The asylum defence rested on the premise that she came forward about her status voluntarily. And she did. 25 years after the committing the crime she was charged with. Argument basically boiled down to <clears throat> it's okay that she lied to join Starfleet because she was seeking asylum, even though we're taking great pains to point out that one of the explicit statutory elements of an asylum claim is that it must be affirmatively requested. There are a million ways to make the same allegory this episode was making without saddling the writers with having to come up with the coherent legal arguments. It felt like they were just used the trial format so they could have characters speak their minds directly into the record. Interesting. Can you give some lights out of five, though, Greg, please? Yeah, we'll get it, Greg. He, Greg's a new person that's uh, started sending his feedback for this episode. Now, I've followed him back. I'm going to get in touch with him right? because he seems to have a, an interesting no, that's, point that to make. very in interesting, yeah. Right, so we'll, uh, we'll try and get him uh, to uh, keep sending some more reviews into us. But that was a great uh, Twitter exchange that he sent us. Our cat has come back in with some uh, late feedback and she says, I remember the times of don't ask, don't tell from when I was in the service. My best friend who was gay had to stay undercover as he had always had to do since the time he joined the service. If he had come out as Una did, he'd have been released from the Coast Guard. So she was brave to come forward, tired of trying to pass, I get it. I like the civil rights aspect of the episode. I liked how people kept tweaking Pike about making inspiring speeches. Three out of five lights. Cheers for that, Kat. Okay, Jen, can you read the next one, please? Yes, this is from Dave K. <clears throat> A very well-written and well-performed episode. And I'm sure I'm not the only fan to be reminded of the excellent measure of a man when watching it. <clears throat> Indeed, I chucked on me measure of a man over the weekend to compare. Ad Astra per Aspera certainly succeeds in making its point, 
and very clearly that point was serving as an allegory for more than just genetic modifications. <clears throat> However, I don't think it was as sophisticated as Measure of a Man. That episode gives credibility to the alternate argument, literally forcing Riker to make it, whereas Ad Astra Perespera had a little too much unsubtle, quote, writer's message here, unquote, talk. Even if you agree with the message, and as a gay man, it resonated with me, I think Measure of a Man has a superior writing. Still, impactful writing and strong performances. 3.99 lights. P.S. The Royal Australian Air Force, of which I'm a former officer, has the motto, Per Ardua Ad Espera, Through Struggle to the Stars. So the title this week was extra special for me. That's cool. Cheers for that, Dave. Yes, you next. So I've got Bruce Wayne. And Bruce says, What do Kansas, the Italian Air Force, Apollo 1 Memorial at Complex 34, Immaculate Conception High School, Jamaica, and Starfleet have in common? Well done if you said they share the same motto. Ad Astra per Aspera. Uh, literally through hardship to the stars. Seems an apt motto, as that sort of feels how it's been watching Star, Star Trek over the last 20 years or so. So much great stuff that has come out with difficult conception, problems with infighting, and the listen to more than they deserve fanboy menace are ever present. I can hear that latter sect about this episode now. It's not Star Trek. It's not his vision. It's so woke. Where are the space battles and fights? There was no pew-pew lasers to reverberate the surround sound in Mom's basement. <laughs> but they are so wrong. This was a perfect Star Trek episode, in the truest tradition of what Gene envisioned. A way to address problems and contemporary matters of the day on primetime TV. To generate discussion and ensure popular culture remained relevant and challenging. I don't care what any crusty literature buff says, or how an academic might view the heavyweights, but this is a mockingbird of the modern age, of mice and Illyrian, or just about any other work reflective of the times and how they looked at prejudice. To me, this is one of those episodes where I really don't care what someone uh, hypercritical may want to point out. All that matters is the story and how well it was done, how it made you feel, and what the story beyond the story said. To fanboy critics, I suggest you take note of Steinbeck's personal stamp Ad Astra per Alas Porsi, to the stars on the wings of a pig. For me, it was possibly one of the best ever Trek episodes, and I don't know if I had a head trauma, but I'm gone with the wind and see six lights. Yes. Brilliant, that is brilliant, though. Uh, thanks for that, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. So I've got a surprise, because he warned us he wouldn't be here, so I've got Tom Turlow. So I had warned you that an imminent holiday would prevent me from giving any feedback this week. No doubt to your huge relief, as it turns out, I was able to watch the episode before my departure, so here's my review. Generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of courtroom drama, so I wasn't a huge fan of this week's episode. I always find these things a bit contrived, and this was no exception. I sort of hoped the defence lawyer would be a big in name, and not so breathless in delivery. It was perfectly well executed as an hour of drama, but this sort of thing just doesn't float my boat. Hopefully now most of the business from the first series is all sorted. We can start series two properly. It's been a weirdly disjointed beginning to this one. Three lights out of five. Thank you, Tom. Cheers for that, Tom. Uh, we have a, a guest. Uh, oh, she's gone. <laughs> 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 
short one. You can read it out to all men. Yeah. We do have a guest, and this is Deb's mom. Hopefully, she will come back you, and you read. Know, you can <coughs> just read that out. So, if listeners comment, this one, uh-uh. top one, yeah, all of it. Oh God! <coughs> Sorry, moment technical hitch. You can tell we're related, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Deb's mom. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so there's no swear words. I'll hold it for you. Don't touch it. <laughs> this yeah. is great. Yeah. Okay, go for it. Season two started. Okay for me with episode one. Episode two, however, is more okay. It's a stunning, engaging look at a crew that's more family than anything else. <laughs> but also, like the best of Trek. Handles with contemporary issues in a way that isn't clunky or patronising. Next bit. <coughs> there was a point where... I thought the court case... No, there was a point... Sorry, I moved it forward. I'm sorry. There was a point where I thought the court case dragged a little gore to the end. But that's a minor point in an otherwise exceptional episode that was as good as anything in season. I got brandy downstairs. Bye. That's fair play to her. I'll finish it. Yeah, it's only one hour. Anything in season one, there is still time for great little bits like Spock's dispute and Lan's own fears. And you ended the episode caring so much about the crew. 9.5 out of 10. So I think that's four points. Yeah. Yeah. Can I have a brandy then, please? We have in the top of your um, stuff you bought. Oh, okay. NB, spare a thought for the shock Spike must have had about moving. From this crew to the um, slightly more dysfunctional lovers of drama aboard Discovery must have breathed a sigh of relief getting back to the ship and crew. Thank that you was from Marcus. Thank you for that, Marcus. Yeah, so thanks to Deb's mum for, for guesting on the show. Um, and from one guest to another, um, Jen, if you want to read Davy Paul for us. Good to see Pike and Una center stage in this episode examining again Starfleet's taboo against genetic modifications. See Space Seed and Dr. Bashir in Deep Space Nine. I'm not a great fan of JAG slash legal shows, except Boston Legal, of course, but it is something of a Star Trek trope. Court Martial, oh, I zoomed in too much. Court Martial, The Menagerie, Measure of Man, etc. I loved the look of the sets and costumes and took a look at previous Trek courtroom episodes. The use of the dress uniforms and colorful badges, the ship's bell, the lie detector, armrest, etc., were all acknowledged. Strange New Worlds has certainly captured the crew as family of TOS and TNG in the way that Disco didn't IMHO. Also, Mabenga's analysis of Spock's body language was nicely done. The detail of Una's backstory certainly played well into the legal switch at the end. Lots of echoes in Una's story from 30s Germany and contemporary issues, so bang up to date. Frowny emoji. So, although not a fan of trial episodes, I quite enjoyed this one. Hopefully, more space battles next week and less Nuremberg trials. I did have a tear in my eye at the final family reunion at the end. Peace and long life. Anyway, I award three and a half lights out of five. Signing off, live long and prosper, David. That's at Davy Paul. Uh, we've got our final bit of uh, written um, feedback, and that's from Drew, and he says, Strange New Worlds does this classic Trek courtroom drama episode, enjoyable stuff, 
tension-filled, but we all knew that Yuna was going to get off, though, all right? Uh, another classic four out of five for me. Cheers for that, Drew. Uh, we have got uh, some uh, spoken feedback, audio feedback, and that's from Steve Hatcher from the Hoovers. Episode two of season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Ad Astra Per Aspera, uh, which is a Latin phrase meaning to the stars through difficulty, uh, takes off where the beginning, actually, of episode one left, with Chris Pike setting off to provide support for Una, who is going to be put on trial for fibbing on her entrance form uh, when she came into um, into. Uh, Starfleet. Um, now, Una is an Illyrian, and Illyrians are, well, Illyrians are banned, it would appear, in this rather strange setup uh, in the Federation at the moment. And in the box where she was asked to tick yes or no to uh, tell us the truth, are you an Illyrian? She ticked no. She ticked the box that said, what, me, Gov? No, not likely. Which, of course, was very naughty of her. Well, anyway. She's not been able to get hold of her council of choice. There's this really top-notch civil rights, also an Illyrian civil rights lawyer called Nira Kitul, um, who actually is a childhood friend of Una's who she fell out with many years ago. Well, Chris goes off to the colony of uh, Volta and Nebula to get hold of this uh, this lawyer and persuade her to take up the case. Una has been offered a plea deal, but in order to accept walking away with no punishment, she has to accept a dishonourable discharge from Starfleet. It'll be the end of her career and it'll be uh, public disgrace for being an Illyrian. Now, she feels fairly reasonably she can't actually help being an Illyrian. That's what she was born as. And in any case, what's so wrong with it? After much persuasion, Chris persuades uh, the brilliant Nera to take up the case. Uh, But she still has this problem with uh, Una, who she fell out with. Um, Basically, because Una went off and left her people to join Starfleet, uh, leaving others to carry on the fight for their freedom. Well... Once Una uh, refuses this plea deal, uh, Starfleet act in a very petty and very vindictive manner and say, right, okay, well, if you're not going to accept our plea deal, we're going to pile all sort of extra charges on top. We're going to charge you with sedition and treason and nicking the uh, Federation president's favourite sweets or something. It gets all a bit out of hand and a bit silly. They they do seem to be determined to uh, punish Una for not just quietly walking away. But there we are. So she's a bit surprised by that. And Nira, the the lawyer, doesn't feel that there's much chance of winning, but she's going to take on the case. And the rest of the episode then is a courtroom drama. Now, we've seen courtroom dramas many times before in all sorts of TV shows, not least Star Trek, of course, where we've seen it at least two or three times, um, the courtroom uh, drama episode. So... In order for it to succeed, it has to be a good one. Well, it's a good one. Of course, we know before anything even starts that Una's going to get off. We know the ending to this. Well, for one thing, we saw her in the cage, didn't we? Uh, I thought 
so we know she's going to get off. But the problem with that is she's quite clearly banged to rights. She actually did lie to get in to Starfleet and conceal her true identity. Now, whatever we might think of those laws, those are the current uh, uh, Federation and Starfleet laws. She, she's, she's banged to rights. The Enterprise crew want to help, of course, because Una is very popular, but in almost every case, anything they say will not only hurt Una's case, but it'll get other people, most notably uh, Chris Pike, in trouble as well. Well, after a well-argued and well-contested court case in which things flow to and fro in favour and against Una, of course, she gets off. Now, I had a bit of a problem with the ending here, because... She gets off, she's acquitted of doing what she quite clearly did do, basically on a technicality, and because she is uh, reclassified as being an asylum seeker, as being a refugee. And they say, yeah, fair enough, we've been mean to you and your people, so we'll reinstate you where you were. I, I just don't see that. The, the, the court were being asked to judge on whether she broke the law. She did. Surely that was for legislative bodies within the Federation to change the law if it was felt needed to be changed. And I don't, I don't see this. I mean, at the very least, they should have given her, uh, I don't know, uh, a one cent fine, sent her on her way and, uh, and told her, no, I'm afraid, sorry, you can't go back to Starfleet. But they say, no, that's fine, Una. Off you go back to the Enterprise as if nothing happened. Um, I don't know. That's That just felt not quite right to me. But I suppose it had to go like, that way. Otherwise, she'd be out for the rest of the series, wouldn't she? Well, the producers and the writers of uh, Strange New Worlds have managed to pull off the trick of telling a story whose ending is entirely clear and a story we've seen many times before, uh, but doing it in an interesting way to make it a very fine episode indeed. And it's an episode which raises all sorts of contemporary issues, reflecting on things such as refugees, uh, particularly pertinent at a time where we've got a government whose main uh, plank for re-election next year seems to be... Uh, what do they say? Stop the boats, don't they? Stop the boats. That's their their main plank for, for re-election, uh, where they're talking about people who are so desperate that they've climbed into small boats and paid all their savings to crooks in order to try and get them across the English Channel because there is no legal way for them to get in. There we are. You may have a different view on that. If you do, you're not only wrong, you're a monster. Anyway, so there's that. And there's also probably uh, equally importantly, there's the question of people who are forced to hide their true identity. Now, clearly, we're talking on uh, trans issues largely here where where. Uh, there's been all sorts of discussion of trans issues over recent years where trans people are turning around and saying, no, this is who I am. Accept me for who I am. Thank you very much. So we've got a reflection of that here as well. We've got some excellent performances in this episode. In particular, I want to highlight Rebecca Romain, who is always fabulous, always. And she does a great job here as Una. Uh, this, the episode's main guest star, Yatidi Badaki, who plays Nera absolutely blew me away on this episode she is absolutely excellent i've not seen her in anything before let's hope we see her again later in the series she is she 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 really did put in a fabulous performance in this well it all adds up to a very watchable 50 minutes or so of star trek and uh, after two episodes 
Season 2 is shaping up to be every bit as good as Season 1 was. Okay, talk to you again soon. Bye. Cheers for that, Steve. I woke up this morning Put on my red shirt Oh, So, that leaves us to the uh, the final act of the evening. Um, <laughs> so we need to select a red shirt. Um, some might say that red shirts are self-selecting in some cases, but I don't want to kind of bias it. Um, so, I think we should come to... I think we should come to Deb. Who is your okay. red shirt and why? Suki, <clears throat> you're a very nice man. It was a pleasure to see you last week, but you're a cheating bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, mum dear. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you just got into trouble. You got into trouble. See, I'm torn now because in one way, Sookie has one nominated himself because he's wearing a red shirt. Two tried to fiddle a poll for the guest pres- the, the, the presenter of the week. Um, so he won it. Um, but also, Deb's a big grasp. <laughs> and literally told me everything Sookie had done. So you know who's 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 the naughtiest character in this. Um, well, I voted three times for Andrea. So, oh, oh, so I'm this... literally the I'm the only honest person on this podcast. Um, after... We don't know what Jen voted. She might have voted three times for me as well. I did not. <laughs> oh, cheers for that, Jen. <laughs> Oof, uncle. Yeah, um, I've just hung up on someone, I think. Um, so, what am I going to do? Deb, because she's now trying to lobby us to nominate Sookie, so I like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I can't nominate Jen because she hasn't like put a foot wrong on this podcast. But uh, and Deb was late, so that was not my fault. I was eating tea and I had trifle, and then I, my computer was messing up. I nearly nominated your mum just because she's got brandy and I haven't. <laughs> it's not a brandy in the end. I went for fizzy wine. Fizzy wine. Jen, who are you nominating as Red Shirt of the Week? Well, I didn't vote for him before, but I'll vote for Suki now. <laughs> yes! <laughs> why, why weren't you going to vote for me earlier on? Uh, I didn't vote you in the, in the Twitter poll. I just picked Andrew because she was in the middle and I picked that one. <laughs> <laughs> So, how is Sookie going to meet his face? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I've still got a vote. Well, and I could vote for Deb as well. You know, just, and then we can, me and Deb can both go together. Are you going to cheat at this vote too? I, I can't cheat at this vote. <laughs> I only have one vote. You're very, good at voting for, you're very good at voting for yourself though, Sookie. Yeah, but you see, I've learnt my lesson this time around. You know, after being told <laughs> off by you guys, I have now learnt my lesson. So, therefore, I can't vote for myself. And I, I want to have a partner uh, to be a red, red shirt when we go. So, Deb, you know, for the first time in ages, I am voting for you. Just because you, apparently you grasped me up to Andrea. So, this, the, you're in it together. Something couldn't be saved. Um, I think you're going to be sternly spoken to by Spock. <laughs> in the manner he spoke to that Vulcan man, and he's, you know, and it's going to be, you're going to die of shock. That's terrifying. <laughs> it is terrifying. Spock I don't want burst. to be in the same room. You can, you can stand in front of me and take most of the brunt of it. <laughs> yeah. 
and I'll send just you know I might just get away with it basically. <laughs> and that's you're the senior officer as well, so I'm only a red shirt, therefore I'm a lowly, lowly, uh, what should we call it, uh, crew, crew member. I think that's perfectly viable. Yes. I think those brutal and stern words from Spock are going to teach you both a lesson. <laughs> Absolutely, mm. we're going to be our better selves. You're going to be exactly the same next week as you are this week, but you know. You won't know, will you? <laughs> well, no, I won't, because I'm not, you see, you could have nominated me because I'm not even here. <laughs> Suki's pointing at me. I was just going to say, uh, uh, Jennifer, how, how did you find being on the podcast? That's what it was. Oh, this was great fun. Thank you so much for letting me join. I hope you come back because it was um it it was a it wasn't um a barrel of laughs was it this episode and uh, so yeah. uh, hopefully you'll come back for a more fun one. It was a serious one this week, wasn't it? But yeah. very good though. <clears throat> and so next week, I've just read that Lan is going off to the twenty first century. I think um, she's going to a gig in London. Something. Well, I'll be there. Sorry, <laughs> <Yeah, it's laughs> I'm going next week. Yeah. So um, she, yeah, she goes back to the 21st century Earth to prevent an attack which will alter humanity's future history, which sounds very interesting. Is that the one with Kirk in it? Because you've seen it in the trailer and he's trying to get through a, a revolving door. If you don't want any spoilers for next week, people, just put your fingers in your ears now. Well, that's, I just read that off the... <laughs> Thing. Uh, on um, the after show on Paramount Plus, um, they had a clip from it, and it looks like Kirk is in the captain's chair, maybe in an alternate timeline again. Wow. Um, he was in it very briefly. There was not anything about the revolving doors. Okay. Is this a mirror episode? If it's an alternate timeline? How exciting. But oh, also, yeah. I mean, the point was just so, there may not be a lot of Pike again. Well, yeah, oh, I've just remembered I've meant to, uh, why Anson Mount wasn't in the first episode. Yeah. He, he's, um, he just had a baby. He's, his missus has just had a baby. Right, so they they reduced his uh, involvement in the first episode. And I think he might have re reduced his involvement in possibly the second episode as well, mm -hmm. uh, the third episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, that way, um, it could be with uh, his wife and the new baby. I, I, oh. love, I love that it is an ensemble series and we do get to see each of the uh, characters flourish I love that mm. that's what you want in a show like this to be able to, uh, with Discovery and we have, I think we have said it, it, had, it did become the Michael Burnham show and it was all about Michael Burnham and you didn't really get to know the or much about the other characters except for the maybe the, the top two or three, that's about it, whereas this one this does seem to be an ensemble where other characters do come to the front, forefront and you, you get to see a whole episode with those characters, which is great. So that brings us to the end of our, our show. Um, it, all that's left for us is to say thank you to Jen for joining us. Thank you for all our listeners for their feedback. Um, and we'll see you next time for the next episode, which will be season two, episode three. Um, haven't got a title in front of me, so let's leave that as a surprise. Um, so it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from Suki. Bye. Goodbye from Jen. Bye. And goodbye from Deb. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Lighters. That picture that you put up, by the way, your avatar picture, your, uh, what's, what's the, uh, the story behind that?
uh, that Amelia Scarehart. It is Amelia <laughs> Vampire. Vampire. <laughs> Right, Amelia Scareheart. I love it. I've got a brandy downstairs. Bye. Thank you for listening. And you can find us all on Twitter as a group. You can find us on at Trekless Out Pod. Or you can go to our Facebook page at Trekless Out. Just uh, Google that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as uh, Sidemat underscore 151. So you can find me on Twitter as at Vintage1983V if you're into Star Trek shitposting um, and a lot of other thirst. Um, if you particularly like to follow me Star Trek art, um, have a look on Instagram for Vin of the Basement. Uh, and I'm just Lofty, L-U-F-F-D-E-E on Twitter. But if you are interested in knowing our obsession about Jason Isaacs, um, you can find me, Kat and Andrea posting weird stuff about Jason Isaacs. Hashtag Team Basement.